In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, you have called us here by name. You have seen us, you have known us, and you have called us each by name. Lord, help us to respond to your call. Help each and every one of us to hear that call more deeply, more personally, and to respond to that call with greater freedom, with greater faith and hope and trust in you. And Mother Mary, we look to you for inspiration and for your help to say yes. And we crown you the queen of our time together here as we pray together. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Father, and of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, we'll transition a little bit here as far as the, the theme goes. And enter into what St. Ignatius would call week two of the spiritual exercises. It's the incarnation the public life of Jesus. And there's a certain number of themes that come out there, which we'll try to incorporate here in this meditation. But we will take a look first at Mary and that incarnation, something we're all familiar with, but it always helps to pause on days like this to just appreciate the mystery even more. So this is Luke chapter 1, verses 26 and following. Luke chapter 1, 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and considered in her mind what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I do not know man? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your kinswoman Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. 
and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For God, for with God, nothing will be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So again, God taking the initiative. God taking the initiative here, not just to create us, not just to redeem us, but to call us. So I think that's one of the graces we need to ask for here in a particular way. Lord, help me to appreciate. Help me to be aware and help me to be and help me to appreciate the fact that you have called me by name. That you have a, a purpose for me, that you have a mission for me. As came, it came out a little bit in the podcast, you know, the different stages of life in the life of every woman. You're a daughter, then you're a sister, then you're a wife and a mother, and you can do that even in a spiritual way. As she said, Sister Miriam, she's a bride of Christ. She's a spiritual mother. That's something you can all do. Become, you know, sisters in Christ to one another. You can become spiritual mothers to other children, to priests. You know, that's a whole other conversation. But, yeah, in the order of grace, in the order of grace, sky's the limit. You know, we talk about the order of nature, which we all share in, our human nature, but then there's this order of grace that Christ has established in the world as well. So we move in both worlds, the order of nature and the order of grace. But in the order of grace, as baptized Christian women, you have certain privileges. You have certain opportunities. And the sky's the limit, in a sense. As far as what you want to embrace with your feminine heart and love and, and pray for and sacrifice for. That's why St. Therese, even though, you know, the little flower, she never left the convent after she was, once she entered it at 15, she never left it. But she became the patroness of the missions, of the four missions. Explain that, you know. Well, it's because in her heart she embraced so much in the order of grace she prayed for and, and fought for so much because she had these great big desires. So as you desire more, it's one of the ways that God expands our hearts by desiring more, by waiting longer sometimes, by fighting harder, you know, by aching more, God expands your heart and then he's able to give you more. So I think it's safe to say that Therese exercised that all the time. She was always desiring more. And so her heart kept growing and she was able to love more. Not because she was able to receive more. So it, it just keeps going like that. It's a cycle of life that God pours out into us.
so here's Mary. And she had her plans. But then God had a very different plan for her. And she wasn't afraid of the angel. You know, some people think she was afraid of the angel. She was greatly troubled at the saying. So she probably saw angels all the time. Who knows, right? But <laughs> So she wasn't scared by Gabriel, but at what he was saying. But he assured her, do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. You're not being punished. You're not being punished. I think that's a big temptation that we can all wrestle with sometimes. When things don't go our way or when God throws us a curveball, I think sometimes one of our reactions is, what did I do wrong? Or when something isn't happening the way you want it to happen or in the timing that you're looking for, I think the devil tries to get us to think that you know we've done something wrong. We're not doing something right. We're not doing enough. But how often throughout the scriptures does God say, do not be afraid? Do not be afraid. So we have to be on guard against fear. And we talked about our wounds today. and I mentioned it briefly, but fear can, can be a, a motivation for a lot of different things that we do. Yeah, I'm fear, a fear of being abandoned, a fear of being rejected, a fear of being whatever. And so, as we said, in that survival mode, fear motivates so much of our behavior. And God doesn't want us to be afraid. He doesn't want us to be slaves to fear. He wants us to be free. God, even though he had this great plan for Mary, she was the Immaculate Conception, he was still looking for her consent, her free consent. So again, we've talked about getting a better image of God. Maybe you have this idea that sometimes God imposes his will on you. But notice here in this story of the Annunciation, God did not impose this on Mary. She was free to say no. And so God is always going to propose to you. He's always going to offer to you an opportunity. He's going to invite you to follow him. But you don't have to say yes. Probably he would like you to say yes. It would be for your good, but... He's not going to force you. So I think that's important, that God is always going to respect our freedom. And that's true for the healing process as well. Don't feel like you're not healing fast enough, you're not getting better fast enough, you're not trans being transformed fast enough. You know, like I said, there's a lot to learn in the process. There's a lot of wisdom to be learned in this process. I've learned so much over the last five years 
and over the last few in particular. And I think I said it, but it's worth repeating. One of the greatest things I've learned is just to be kinder and gentler to myself, to have genuine compassion for myself and my own shortcomings. Because it's hard to be genuinely compassionate towards other people if you can't be genuinely compassionate towards yourself. Right? To show, to show true compassion for somebody else, you've got to be able to show compassion to yourself. God wants that. And you can really only learn that by going through this process. By understanding that, you know, some of that behavior that you're not real proud of was coming from a, a place of woundedness. You know, I like to say, when you're hurting, when people are hurting, they tend to hurt themselves and hurt other people. Right? If, if you can just remember that, you know, when people are hurting, when I'm hurting, you know, I tend to hurt myself and hurt other people. That's what hurting people do. So when you see people you know, hurting each other, not to excuse their behavior, obviously, but to have some understanding, to have some compassion for that person, you can say, wow, boy, to, to behave like that or to do something like that, you must really be hurting inside. You must have a lot of anger. You must have a lot of whatever, fear, abandonment, rejection inside of you. So God knows that, and he wants to deliver us from that but he's always going to respect our freedom. So again, God took this initiative to have Mary be the mother of Jesus, the mother of God. So what does that say about God, too? Well, it says that he wanted to enter into our reality into our human reality, into our nature. He wanted to take on our nature so as to heal it. You know, I said earlier that you know, we, we can't make happiness. Humans can't make happiness happen by themselves. We couldn't heal ourselves either. We needed a Savior. So Jesus, in order to redeem us, in order to save us, in order to reconcile us with the Father, became one of us. He entered into our reality. Again, that's the kind of God we have. We just have to kind of, again, let that, wow, you know? God became a man. I mean, we've heard it for so long. <laughs> we kind of take it for granted, but... Again, it, it goes to show how close God wants to be to you. Think about that. Write that down. God wants to be close to me. God obviously wanted to be close to Mary. But Mary, in that sense, too, is an icon of the church. The bride of Christ. God's people. So God is showing that he wants to be close to his people. 
that he literally wants to wed his people. He wants to marry his people. Right? He formed a covenant with us. He didn't just sign a contract, as Scott Hahn likes to point out. You know, it's not a contract where there's some exchange of goods, but it's a covenant. It's a covenant where family bonds are formed. They're established. And again, that's God's work. That's his action. That's his initiative. God wanting to be this close to us. God wanting to marry us. God wanting to form this covenant with us. And he chose to do it through, with, and in Mary. I think our our Protestant brothers and sisters really fail to appreciate this very obvious, you know, fact Right? But if God, Almighty God, became a man and he chose to do it through, with, and in this woman, I think that says something. <laughs> so the recipe or the formula, I think as Father Gately likes to say, you know, Mother Mary plus Holy Spirit equals Jesus. You know? So... If we want Jesus to be formed in us, well, then we, you know, we hang on to Mary. We ask the Holy Spirit to come upon us, and out comes Jesus. <laughs> That's the formula. That's the recipe. So God wanted it this way. He could have done it any number of ways. He could have come down as a fully grown man, I like to say, right? With pomp and circumstance and angels and saints and trumpets blaring and thunder and lightning. And... But he didn't do that. Because if he would have done that, people would have been scared, right? They would have been intimidated. Or they would have, you know, just gone after that, that display of power. But that's not what he was all about. Again, he didn't want people to be forced or scared into following him. But rather, he chooses to become a baby. And you as women can especially appreciate this. You know, we're drawn to babies. That innocence, that dependency, you know, is attractive. It it just draws you in, right? That's how Jesus wants us to follow him. He, he wants us to be attracted to him. To fall in love with him, yes, but to, to be attracted to his goodness, his truth, his beauty. It's kind of a philosoph- philosophical riddle, you know. If God is, some people call God the unmoved mover of the universe. Because he's unchanging, right? And movement implies change. So God is the unmoved mover. Well, how is he moving us without moving himself, right? By attraction. By attraction. You know, so we see him, we get to know him, and we're like, oh, I want more of that, you know? So we, we are drawn to God. He wants to draw us. 
to himself. And Mary gives her her yes, her fiat, as they say in Latin, her let it be done. Let it be done to me according to your word. So that's what we're asking uh, for today, too, that grace to say, let it be done to me, Lord, according to your word. Like, whatever you want for me, I trust that it's best. I don't know what it implies. I don't know what it all entails, but if you're asking me, if you're moving me in this direction, okay. Here I am. Here I am, Lord. I come to do your will. But I think it's important that we understand that he's first interested in in relationship, like we've been emphasizing. And that from the relationship, from the intimacy with God, will flow the action. The mission will flow from identity. But if you try to make the mission your identity, you're going to crash and burn pretty fast. So don't get too wrapped up in the mission and make that your identity. Or you will crash and burn as some of us have discovered for ourselves from time to time, right? You can even make motherhood your mission. And you can burn out as a mom or as a wife. You know, that your kids don't define you. I know you like to define yourselves by your kids and their grades and their accomplishments. And you can be proud of your kids, but at the end of the day, they don't define you, right? because you will necessarily be disappointed <laughs> over and over again, right? So, and it drives your kids nuts, by the way, too, you know. It drives them nuts because they come and talk to me about that. And <laughs> Get my mom off my back, you know. So we shouldn't define ourselves through kids or your husband or your job or even your apostolate, your mission, your ministry, but your relationship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that's the relationship that defines you. That's what defines you. And from there will flow your ministry, your mission, your purpose, your meaning and value. Let's look at John chapter 1, verse 35. John 1, 35. The next day, again, John, John the Baptist, was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. Come and see. And Pope Benedict points out that an even better translation is, come and become one who sees. 
come and become one who sees. And isn't that what we've been praying for here this week, this weekend? <coughs> to see myself. To see and love in myself what God sees and loves in me. That's in the prayer there. I don't know if you noticed that. In the last, well, it's in the middle of the page there. Jesus, help me to see and love in myself and in my brothers and sisters what you see and love in us. I want to experience the joy of loving and being loved as a daughter, a sister, a friend, and a mother. Therefore, I ask you to wound my heart, that is to change my heart. Because I can't change myself, right? I can't transform myself. So I'm depending on the grace of God. And to unite my heart with the pierced, immaculate heart of Mary, so that I can also feel the warmth and tenderness of Mary's affection and take her into my heart with a spirit of awe and wonder and gratitude, just like you and Joseph and John did. Thank you, Jesus, for wanting to reach out and touch me. So these two disciples saw Jesus. They were attracted to him. They started following him. And he said, come and see. Come and become one who sees. The next, verse 43, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. I saw you. In other words, I know who you are. I know who you are. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You shall see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. It's a pretty mysterious passage, really, if you think about it. That's one of those passages I want to learn more about, you know. What was Nathaniel doing, <laughs> anyway? <laughs> was he getting himself in trouble? He's like, oh, shoot. How did you know? How did you know what I was thinking? Or doing underneath the underneath the fig tree, yeah. Yeah. So but I think that's also consoling, right? That Jesus He knows us, He knows you, He knows where you've been, He knows where you're at. But He also knows where He'd like to lead you. He sees the potential in all of you. Like I said, in the order of grace, the unlimited potential in all of you to grow in love, to become saints in your own right. It's never too late. 
Look at Mary Magdalene. She had seven demons driven out of her. I don't think anybody here has seven demons in them, you know? So... But she had this encounter with the Lord that transformed her. And so, again, that's a grace. But it's a grace that God wants to give. So no one here is disqualified from being a closer friend of God. No one here is disqualified. You can't disqualify yourself. But I think we sometimes do that you know we come up with excuses or thoughts and judgments about ourselves but I think that's where Matthew 9 is when he called Matthew and then he asks Matthew to throw a party Matthew 9, verse 10. Matthew chapter 9, verse 10. And as he sat at table in the house, Matthew's house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So there you go. If you're a sinner, then you're good. You're good to go. You're qualified. And there's nothing that the Lord can't heal. But he does want to heal us and save us with our cooperation. Because as we cooperate, we, we again, we grow in wisdom, knowledge. We grow in love. We grow in love. And God knows that's that's what we're made for. That's the purpose of our lives, ultimately, is to be united with God and to become more and more like him. And he is love. So it's to become more and more transformed into love, to love more, to receive that love and to share that love, to become love. Not to become successful or popular or organized or fit or whatever. Just love. That's it. You know, when, when you die, God's not going to ask you what kind of car you drove or what kind of purse you had or what shoes you wore. Or, you know, this is going to say, so how'd you love? How'd that go for you? <laughs> So we keep saying yes. Does it get easier? Yeah, maybe on some level you get in the habit of saying yes. But, you know, 
God has few people that keep saying yes to him, right? So it's, uh, it's definitely going to stretch you. My college football coach, when we were running wind sprints, used to yell at us, get out of the comfort zone, get out of the comfort zone, you know. So God doesn't call us to be comfortable. You know, that doesn't show up in the Gospels anywhere, unfortunately. You know, blessed are those who are really comfortable, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God, you know. It doesn't say that, I don't think, anyway, I haven't found that. So it's going to be unnerving, to say the least. It's going to be challenging. And that necessarily creates a certain uh, emotion of fear. Because whenever there's something unknown, well, we naturally feel some fear, right? But we don't want to let that control us with fearful thoughts. And I'm not good enough, and who am I? And, of course, the devil is going to wag his finger in your face, saying one of those two things or both of those things at different times, you know? You're not good enough. Who do you think you are? Don't you remember what you did? He's the accuser. Remember that? The accuser. The father of lies and the accuser. But it says in the book of Revelation that the accuser has been cast out. He's been conquered. And that's where trust comes in. That's why I think the motto of divine mercy is so important for us. Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I trust in you. I just don't trust that you're going to forgive me. That's important. So, yes, I trust that you've forgiven me and that you will forgive me no matter what. I trust that you're going to provide for me. And I just trust that you're going to get me through whatever it is that you lead me into. I mean, think about it. Uh, you know, I've shared this with some of you before, but like, God doesn't ask us to know ahead of time everything we're going to have to do. Because we would all say no, right? <laughs> 27 years ago, so next week is Ash Wednesday, right? So it was 27 years ago, next week, uh, when I first felt called to the priesthood. Well, at least when I first started my conversion in college. And then it was the following January when I felt called to the Legion. So, you know, thinking back, if God would have revealed to me at that time, you know, when I was 20 and 21 years old, all of the things that were going to happen in these last 25 years, here's what you're going to have to go through. What do you think? You want to sign up for that? I'd be like, no way. <laughs> right? No way. And for those of you who are married, with, you know, think about that, you know. Looking back, like if God would have asked you or shown you everything that was going to happen, you know, would you have signed up for that? Probably not, right? 
That's why he has men and women fall in love, and there's all of that, you know. Stages. Yeah, stages, right? It's the same thing in religious life, kind of, right? There's a lot of consolation in the beginning, usually. Everything, you know. But then, you know, life happens, and life's messy. So... That's why every step along the way, God just asks us really to take the next step and to trust that it's going to be okay. And sometimes that's all you can do. You, d you don't know what really lies ahead, but I just keep taking the next step, the next step in my healing process. Where is this all going to lead? I don't know, but just take the next step. For young men and women, you know, discerning... Or even for you, if you're discerning like a particular change in, in job or ministry or something like that, you know, like, well, I'm not really sure. Okay, well, just take the next step. You don't have to sign your life away in blood, but just take the next step, you know, and keep praying and discerning. And, and then you listen to your heart. You know, God's will often then just comes from within. Something's going to click for you. And you'll know it. You'll know it. There'll be a peace. There'll be a desire. And it, it'll come from within. It won't, again, it won't be imposed from without. And as that, you know, as, as you take those steps, as you move forward, you don't always meet with success or accomplishment or completion and you might think well that was a waste of time but probably not you know God was teaching you and sometimes all he wants to, to learn is obedience yeah, I can still remember getting a phone call one time from a friend of mine and she's like you know I really feel like I should call the parish and, and offer to help with uh, youth ministry I'm like okay doesn't mean they're going to say yes, you know, doesn't mean they're going to accept your offer. But if the Lord's putting that on your heart, go, do it. Because he's wanting you to be obedient to his call. You know, Mother Teresa said it all the time. God doesn't ask us to be successful. God doesn't call us, he doesn't call you to be successful. I think that's really important. To, to understand, although that's really hard for us in the United States to wrap our minds around, right? But God doesn't call us to be successful. She would always say, he calls you to be faithful. He calls you to be faithful. That's all he asks of you. You know, be faithful to me. And through that fidelity, he will make you fruitful. Somehow, some way, he will make you fruitful. And mother's life definitely was fruitful, even before she died, you know, because she just kept saying yes. You know, I think it's Jeff Cavins who does a beautiful job of telling her story at the beginning, but like when she finally got the permission to leave the Sisters of Loretto and just start the Missionaries of Charity and, you know, her first days on the street, she didn't know what she was doing. She didn't know what was going to happen. She just started picking up dying people and caring for them. 
but she had very, very little, very little experience, very little resources. But God was just like, well, give me what you got. You know, just like the, the multiplication of the loaves and fish. Lord, look at all these people. How are we going to feed them all? Just send them away. Well, what do you got? We got five loaves and two fish. All right, bring it. Just give it to me. And let me multiply it. You know, let me work with that. So I think that's another great lesson when you think about following Jesus and your vocation, your ministry, your mission, your purpose. Like, you might say to yourself, well, I don't have a degree. I don't have experience. I don't, you know, I don't have anything, really. Well, just give them what you got. I don't have a lot of time. That's all right. Give them what you got. And let him work with it. Let him multiply it. I don't have a lot of money. Okay, well, God's got a lot of money, right? They say, right? Just put the word out, whatever, you know. And just see where it goes. Be attentive. Keep discerning. You know, just like, as we said with the, the healing process, which requires a lot of discernment and listening, the same thing with fruitful ministry. It requires a discipline of discernment. And discernment is not done in isolation. That's another important thing to keep in mind, you know. If, when you talk about ministry and you talk about involving other people, a school, a parish, a section, a community, you know, discernment is never done in isolation because it always then will involve other people, groups of people. So it necessarily requires you to come together with other people. Other people? <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, you actually have to try to work together, right? And pray together and, and discuss. And listen and pray. Be discerning. I mean, it's it's a discipline. It's it takes time. You gotta be patient. And for some people that's that's hard, right? Like you wanna let's just go for it. But God's never in a hurry, in a sense, that way. He doesn't rush. You know, think about it. His people were in Egypt for how many years? 400 years in Egypt. And then they were in, yeah, and then they were in the desert for 40. Right? I don't think God was really in a hurry. <laughs> they were just that hard-headed, you know? So if we don't think that we need time and, and grace and healing and, you know, we are mistaken, right? So through that process, God continues to shape us and teach us lots of lessons. Namely, how to depend on him for provision. Right? If we try to provide everything up front, you know, to have it all figured out, probably isn't from God. God usually doesn't work that way. You know? Look at how he started his church. I mean, come on. Right? Imagine how the apostles felt at the ascension. Where are you going? Come back! Come back! <laughs> Imagine how heartbroken they must have been. There's their Lord, their master. 
the one that they had, you know, followed, and, and then they saw him die and rise and work all these miracles, and, and now he's, but he said, it's better for you that I go, because then I will send you the Spirit. So then they had to learn. What did they do? Go, and they prayed together for nine days. Before they acted, Jesus said, you go and pray with my mother. <laughs> I mean, we can't divorce ourselves from the way that God did it in the very beginning, right? Mary Healy is very good, I think, at reminding people of the early, she calls it the early DNA of the church, the early DNA. How did Jesus do it? You know, how did the first apostles do it? Well, before they went out and preached any sermons, they were together in prayer with the mother of God, asking for the Holy Spirit. And then when he finally fell on them and gave them new power, new courage, new boldness, new gifts, then they could go out. And it wasn't long after that, in Acts chapter 4, just two chapters later, they needed more. They prayed again and asked for more of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the persecution ramped up. Once they started preaching, there was persecution. So they needed more boldness and more courage and more signs and wonders to, you know, fight back. So, you know, we have to continually go back to the original source here and, and meditate on how they behaved, on how God acted. So I'll close with that thought, maybe. That, that idea of, of remembering is really important. Not only remembering how God worked with his people, so you know, always going back to the scriptures and meditating on how he acted in the lives of his first disciples, but remembering also how God has acted in your life. That's really important. Because if you're sitting in this room, I know God has acted in your life in powerful ways at different times, in different places. He has spoken to you. He has worked miracles of different kinds in your life. He's brought different people into your life at different times. He's answered prayer in many different ways. And it's really good to go back and, and remember that and, and to, to be grateful for it, to be grateful for it. And that opens us up then to, to more of God's action. What is it that we do at Mass? We remember, right? If you've done a manual approach with me, it's a kind of prayer that is founded on remembering how God worked in your life in a particular way at a particular time and then just entering that memory again very intentionally and reliving it in a sense. How God made his presence felt in that moment in your life. And then from that, plat from that platform, you begin or, or ask for a new encounter with God, a life-giving, interactive encounter with God. 
And at every Mass, we give thanks, right? That's what Eucharist, well, it comes from the Greek word, which means to give thanks, Eucharistane, to give thanks. So at every Mass, we offer this sacrifice of thanksgiving, of gratitude to the Father, through the Son. And we pray for the Holy Spirit to come down on us at every Mass. So we, we remember at every Mass what Christ did for us. And so we are then disposed to receive more of him. As we give thanks to God the Father through the Son in the Spirit, we are disposed to then receive more of him and to have him work with us and in us and through us again today in his church. And it helps us to maintain our hope, a spirit of hope. And God knows our world is desperate for hope. They're looking to, they don't even know it, but, you know, they're just dying for hope. Something that can give them lasting hope, true hope. And as beat up as the church is right now, you know, God is at work. God's at work right here this weekend. Right? This is a privileged place. I didn't say that last night, but, I mean, just think about it. How many women are, are on a weekend retreat right now in the world? You know, you are a very, very, very small percentage of Catholic Christian women in the world right now. So if you don't think God loves you or that he's not looking on you with very special interest right now, you know, think again. Think again. This is an elite force right here, special forces right here. You, know? <laughs> you are a part of God's special forces, and you are a source of hope. God actually has hope, hopes for you. You know, he looks at you with great expectation, in a sense, with, with a lot of hope. I can remember, uh, remember those youth and family encounters. Some of you went to some of those youth and family encounters that the Legion and Regnum Christi used to sponsor. And in St. Louis, Scott Hahn was up there. He was our guest main speaker that weekend. And he's like, if not you, then who? And if not now, then when? And if not here, then where? You know, where has God called so many faithful people together you know, to respond to his word, to his invitation? You know, so we could say that here. So let that fill you with some hope as well and some joy, thanksgiving, praise. Wow, God, you're... You're really, you know, overwhelming me. <laughs> that you would call me, that you would have so much interest in me, that you would pay so much attention to me. What's so special about me? Well, God knows. God knows. So let him communicate that to you through the Holy Spirit this afternoon.